You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season, whether I was out west during my elk hunt, South Dakota mule deer hunt, or my rut vacation in Iowa, I was on my phone using Onyx Maps every part of the day, whether I was looking at terrain features uh, on the topographic and, and satellite maps that they offer on their uh, uh, on their app, or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands, or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location. I used Onyx Maps every single day, and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map and uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before I had to wait till sun up and then and then you know find it that way but that problem does not exist anymore because of Onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that I think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So onyxmaps.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Um, real quick announcement I want to make here. It's I'm kind of pissed off about it, to be honest with you. But um, all of my social media accounts have been hacked. The Nine Finger Chronicles uh, Facebook and Instagram page were hacked. The Sportsman's Nation Facebook and Instagram page has been hacked. And I do not know when I will be getting access back to those. I've gone through the proper steps and filed a complaint with Facebook and Instagram. But you know how that goes. They're a gigantic company and it's going to take a, uh, a while to... Um, uh, to, to probably fix it. So just please be patient with, uh, with the situation here. I know that uh, I post a lot of information and I communicate with you guys out, out there uh, through social media. So um, 
please be patient with me. And uh, just to let all of you know, I am not a terrorist. I was on my page for about 30 seconds. And whoever hacked into my account was posting like terrorist type shit. So um, that's not me. Just so everybody knows, that is not me. Um, um, so my account was hacked. So that's not a good way to start a Monday. But I will tell you that this episode has not been hacked and it's actually a really really good episode this is the nine finger chronicles podcast happy monday everybody this uh uh, podcast the nine finger chronicles is brought to you by vortex optics and today we are going to be talking with returning guest patrick rubendahl and patrick has been on before and he's actually the guy who kind of got uh He sparked my interest about South Dakota, and eventually I ended up going to South Dakota and hunting this year. So we talk about hunting in South Dakota. We talk about how his season went. We talk about uh, the terrain differences out there in South Dakota. We talk about, uh, you know, some other Western hunts. This is a good old-fashioned BS session. So it's half about his season, half about what he does and how he does it, and then the other half of the episode is about how Patrick used a compound bow for 30 years and then this year he switched to traditional archery so we talk about that transition we talk about uh, the learning curve we talk about how how he got excited and interested in it so it's actually a really good episode filled with a lot of information especially if you're the kind of guy who um has ever thought about going from a compound to traditional archery. This is going to be an awesome episode uh, for you. But before we get into that, I want to make sure that everybody knows about this next partner. It's the newest partner, The Average Conservationist. It is an apparel company, and they have really awesome hats and t-shirts with some sweet logos on them. And the reason that I partnered with this specific company is because they are donating 10% of all of their profits to conservation efforts like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, the uh, National Deer Alliance, QDMA, all these uh, conservation efforts. He is giving 10% of his his profit to these companies. And I said, Hey, I got to, I got to partner with this company. So go check out their website, the average conservationist.com and uh, check out all the apparel that they make. I'm telling you right now, they have some kick-ass hats. They have some awesome t-shirts and they're not just the average t-shirts. They're the real soft t-shirts too. And, um, by, you know, purchasing one of their products, not only is their logo kick-ass, but the, uh, 10% of all sales are donated to conservation. So it's a win-win. So if you want to buy a kick-ass t-shirt and then know that you're supporting conservation at the same time, you need to check out theaverageconservationist.com. All right, so we've done that. We've uh, I've talked to you about my hacking incident, and uh, I think it's just time to get into this BS episode here with my new friend and returning guest, Patrick Rubendahl. All right, returning guest today, Mr. Patrick Rubendahl. What's up, man? How are you, Dan? Nice to hear from you. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. I tell you what, it's uh, good to uh, catch up with you again because if it wasn't for you sending in a message to me saying, dude, you should hunt South Dakota, I would have never had the experience that I had out there. 
And so I, I kind of first off want to say thank you for messaging me, dude. I loved hunting out there this year. You're welcome, man. I'm glad you guys had a awesome time out there. Oh, man. I, I tell you it's what. A, it's a great state, and and I, for one, welcome everybody to come visit it. So Yeah. Yeah, we, me and uh, me and one of the guys that I went out there with, he he took a beautiful, like a stud uh, mule deer out there. Taxidermist said he was a seven-year-old, and uh, se- I, th- I think yeah, seven, six or seven-year-old. I think I sent you pictures of it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I saw oh, it online man. too. It was an amazing buck. And yeah. it was a it was a super cool story. Yeah, just the experience. Um, and, and I don't want to say just South Dakota, but really anytime you go to a new piece of property, whether that's just down the road and it's the first time you've ever hunted it, or it's a completely different state in a completely different ecosystem and environment. Uh, dude, I get so jacked about just first time things like that. Absolutely. It's all about, you know, discovery. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going out there and you're not, uh, you're not going hunting off of memories you know i you know like i know this this draw has been good and so on and so forth it's just something new over every hill yeah that's cool and there's a lot of hills out there to go uh, explore <laughs> on and that public ground dude I, I i don't know where i would be right now if i had the same access to public ground in iowa that they do in other states i mean we were hunting a section that was like 60,000 acres there's two big sections right next to each other 60,000 acres of public ground that was available for anybody to hunt and in Iowa we don't have that and I feel like I feel like I would be a different hunter today if I had to cut my teeth on public land versus uh, you know what I'm currently doing I mean I'm still mobile but I think just having access to more land allows you to do more crazy things. And when you can do, oh, yeah. more, do more crazy things, you get to fail more and failure, as we all know, turns to success at some point. Right. You know, like, like yourself, you know, you you work year round, you pick up sheds, you put out trail cameras, you do scouting this time of year, looking for beds and trails, etc. You know, but you're you're hunting 160 acres that you've hunted for years, and you get on a big buck or something, and you blow it one or two times, and he could be gone for the rest of the season, yeah. and you're screwed. Right. You know. Right. So, yeah. Right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this year or this 2019 season because it was a, a little bit different for. Uh, you I know and I want to get into a big transition that you made uh, but I don't want to do that quite yet I want to first off just kind of remind everybody what you do for a living that allows you to be on the road okay so I work for uh, an industrial janitorial chemical manufacturer and I also sell floor cleaning equipment and um paper products and things like that. So I cover Southeast South Dakota, basically from the, the Iowa border to just past the Missouri river, which is halfway across South Dakota. And then I go South down into Northeast Nebraska quite a ways. So I travel three and a half hours West and three hours South cover a lot of miles and 
use a lot of different mapping systems <laughs> for public land. Absolutely. So, and that's kind of yep. what, that's obviously what I wanted to get into here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you dropped a, a giant whitetail a handful of years ago um, on some public and uh, around, you know, your, your, uh, your service area for your job. Are you still mm-hmm. going out? in between um, calls or in between jobs and getting onto piece, pieces of public land and exploring the, you know, doing a lot of uh, out of, out of season scouting. Oh, absolutely. So um, I drive a jacked up Subaru Outback. So I take a <laughs> lot of gravel roads, a lot of, a lot of minimum maintenance roads and um, I'm jacked for Turkey season because Turkey's the funnest time. So I'll drive along a piece of public or a river bottom or something, and I'll just shut my car off and and hit a box call in a river bottom or a draw. And if I can get a gobbler to respond, I spend my lunch. I throw a ghillie suit on over my work clothes, and I chase gobblers for my lunch hour. <laughs> that would be awesome. So I kind of, yeah, man, I kind of do that with deer too. So, you know, I'm – you know, always, I always have a spotting scope with me and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, that's, I, that's what I do. I hunt yeah. and work and live in my car. That's awesome. <laughs> so let's, uh, one thing I didn't realize about, you know, the West, uh, I'm going to put where I was at into this Western, this prairie region, this, uh, uh, grasslands type region. Uh, not necessarily, it's not mountainous, but it's got terrain. It's got some pretty yep. decent terrain too out there in South Dakota, especially in the Western part of the state. Yep. What's the difference between where you're hunting whitetails and where you're hunting mule deer as far as terrain yeah, is concerned? For- yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. So South Dakota uh, is separated by the Missouri River right down the middle. South Dakota people call it East River, West River, and it is like two different countries. East River is um, farmland. There's two or three rivers that flow from north to south. That so there's river bottoms, farm ground, tree belts, shelter belts. Uh, crop fields, that sort of thing. You get out, you get out West River, and it is um, parts of it are badlandy, meaning like the surface of the moon, crazy, crazy features. Uh, also, you know, the Black Hills is you know pines, small mountains, uh, but it's and then we have grasslands which are just miles and miles and miles of buffalo grass and um, sweet clover, things like that with draws and deep cuts and cricks and stuff like that. So East River versus South or West River, two major differences. And, you you know, East River, you hunt in the morning and you hunt in the evening, you know, typical whitetail type hunting. You go out west, as you know, and you chase animals all day long. It's yeah. just a big difference. Yeah. So I was talking to the taxidermist out there, and, you know, we, we ran into a, a pretty big a big antlered mule deer, right, scored somewhere in the, the 150s for a, I don't even know, it didn't have any brow tines, but it was a, I guess, a four-point by a four-point. 
right? So mm-hmm. a big, a big eight point or no wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Four, four by four, if you want to call it that. What is yep. it about? And then the taxidermist starts talking to me about these mule, de- mule deer on the east, uh, in East River, South Dakota. What is the difference between the mule deer on the West River versus East River? I guess I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about as far as, well. He, he tells me the bigger, bigger bucks come from East River because they have more access to, um, more access to um, agriculture, but well, they, yeah. they're harder to hunt because there's no public ground. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, the food quality is much better. Like, you know, the area that you were, you guys were hunting, you know, as you know, there wasn't a lot of vegetation other than sage and buffalo grass and things like that. So the deer are eating those types of things. In the East River, they have access to corn. Um, They really like, like, the milo fields and and things like that along the missouri river on the east side that's primarily where the mule deer are it's on the on the east side of the river close to the missouri river which is high hills and that sort of thing and a lot of the big farms and ranches there they farm for pheasant hunting Uh there's there's massive uh sorghum fields corn fields tree belts, things like that, and primarily all private ground because there's a lot of cattle operations and crop operations. You get on the west side, and there's just a lot more public because you can't grow anything on it. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, what I did uh, when I shot my mule deer this year, and it ran on to public, or excuse me, it ran on to private. I finally got permission to go check, and... I didn't realize that the whitetails were so numerous out there along the river bottoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. 50, de- 50 whitetails one night in a crop circle, and one, I would put them at 150 class 8-point or something, and that's through a spotting scope a long ways away, but I would say, yep. you know, the, the body stu- stood out from the rest of them. I didn't realize going that far out that the whitetails were so predominant as well. And there's almost like a line to where the mule deer activity is and the whitetail yeah. activity is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you talk about East River and West River, I I think there's almost like three different, three subspecies of the whitetails. So you got the East River whitetails that are just like the ones you hunt in Iowa, you yeah. know, hunt close. They don't range very far. They don't need to go very far. They stay in the farms. You get to West River, and then there's the ones that you saw that primarily are in the creek bottoms. And anywhere you find cricks with trees or a little pond or a little piece of water or great green grass out on those expansive prairies, you'll find whitetails, you know, in those little close-in areas. And there's some studs out there. Oh, yeah. And then you get up, then you get up into the Black Hills, and then those whitetails, they're the bodies are kind of small and they're more like a high mountain whitetail. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, they all, they all act differently cause they, they relate to what they're eating and where they can hide. But yeah, there's some studs yeah. out on that open prairie. Yeah. I didn't realize how many coyotes there were out there too. We saw totally. not only a lot of them, but we saw some big coyotes. Yeah. 
well it's it, it it's a major problem and you know depending on what what science you believe in you know it's like there's a lot of people hunting them and then a lot of the biologists say the more you kill them the more they reproduce you know but yes there's a lot of coyotes and they know you're there and they'll i'm sure you guys experienced when one would bark in front of oh, you, dude. then beside you, then behind you. They're yep. all around you. Yep. Uh, we were cooking dinner one night out there, and we heard uh, a couple of them yipping in the background at dark, and then we started hearing one come straight into our truck. I mean, it was, I bet you it was inside 100 yards from us just sitting there howling. And this was yeah. flat ground. So it yeah. was, uh, that was kind of a, you know, I, I walked out a little ways to see if I could see them in my headlights. Or, or something like that but um just an amazing like really an amazing place south dakota is dude i yep. i yep. i absolutely love love it out there um so let me ask you a crazy question what do you what do you like hunting more whitetails or muleys oh muleys 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 oh my god yeah so so this year i um I haven't hunt last year I hunted with a rifle for the first time in nine or ten years. I shot a mule deer um, on one of the reservations out west, which was a super super cool hunt and then um, this year, I bought two rifle leftover tags, and both of the tags that I bought were any white tail and and one of them was on the East River side along the Missouri River where there was hardly any whitetails whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. And then my the the other tag was a West River tag, same tag, any whitetail, and it was in a county that was predominantly mule deer and it only had um a little bit of river land. So both of those hunts I went out there. West River opened up first. I went out there and I got to my spot at five or six o'clock in the morning, and there was already six or seven pickups there. <laughs> I hiked, <laughs> I hiked a couple miles in there in, in the dark, and there was orange vests walking towards me at ten or eleven o'clock in the morning. So I got out of there, and it's, and I was loading my stuff into my car, and a giant three by three muley and five does were coming down along the ditch and at that time the muleys were rutting super hard and was this november grab yeah november November. and um i grabbed my heads up decoy doe head and i was hiding behind my car and i was just poking the thing out and one of the does started heading right for my car and i'm in a road ditch yeah and so that that three by three was following her and i grabbed my bow out of the back of my car and i'm just sitting there and sure enough a pickup came down the road and spooked them off but they were coming so long story short the rest of that weekend the next two and a half days i spent chasing rutten mule deer didn't even care about that rifle tag that i had and i i just got on several stocks and i videotaped a bunch of just studs that were on private of course but i had more fun chasing those those mule deer than i ever would have you know walking cricks with a with a gun chasing white tails so yeah. yeah yeah i did that three weekends in a row and it's just yeah that's my 
I'm addicted to chasing those mule deer <laughs> on the prairie. Did uh, now you live on the east side of the state though, right? Yeah. And yeah. So you were driving numerous hours every weekend for three weekends in a row out to the western side of the state to chase these these deer. I I went like eight to ten weekends in a row. <laughs> I forget. Yeah. Are you married or do you have a girlfriend? Uh. Well, I'm basically married, yes. Okay. I, I live with a gal, been with her for seven years. We okay. own a home together and stuff like that. So, yeah. So what is, what does she think about this time of year when eight weekends in a row you're traveling numerous hours? Or is she used to it? Oh, dude. When November hits, she's already so tired of me traveling and leaving. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad because I would leave on like a – you know, a Friday morning and I'd be back on Sunday, Right. you know, that sort of thing pretty quick, you know? Um, but yeah, she gets, she gets tired of it. And because I passed deer up and that, that drives her crazy. And oh, I don't even tell yeah. her when I pass deer up. Cause she's like, shoot anything that comes in front of you and be done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sorry, I mean? honey, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. No, and I'm and I'm and I'm super picky, and I just have too much fun running around the prairie. You know, yeah. I, I, it's not about the it's not about the kill for me at all. Oh yeah, yeah, and I can see, you know, it's almost like when I when I was up there spotting, uh, we were up on a glassing point looking uh, when we eventually saw all the whitetails coming, uh, you know, or all the muleys coming off the top into these uh, this, these terrain into the terrain into the creek beds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And watching them bed up in the hills, I it's like you get so caught up in th- what you're looking at and what you're absorbing and experiencing that you didn't. I di- I didn't even want to go after and actually hunt them. Really, I just wanted to sit right. and watch what else was going to happen. Oh, there's some whitetails over there. Oh, there's some cows. Oh, you know. Oh, oh, there's a coyote. Oh, hey, look way over there. There's a a, a mule deer. Mule there. I don't know. I just found yeah. I found myself getting lost in the moment. And uh, dude, I don't know. I just I'm hippieing out right now. But it was it, it it was awesome. Oh yeah, I I do that all the time. You know, it's um, you know, you get to a high point in the dark and you're and the sun is coming up and you can just see for miles and miles and miles. And, you know, your eyes are adjusting to the light and you're starting to see things. And once you, once you pick up, um, a muley that is bedded on the side of a hill that you've looked right at him like three different times. And then all of a sudden you see an ear flicker or something like that. And you know what to look for and start seeing things. It's just, it's super addicting. You'll sit there, and next thing you know, it's it's eleven or twelve o'clock, and you're like, "Oh, I got to do something." But yeah, it's, <laughs> just the spotting alone is amazing. Yeah, yeah. What's the? So I went out there early October. What's the mule deer rut like there, out there? Time wise, yeah. Um, it's mid November. Okay. Early, early to early to mid November. Similar you know, to the white pretty tail. much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. I mean, you will. Is it? I mean, is it run around crazy? Like, I mean, you sit oh. you sit on a glassing point in mid November and you're just watching them run all over the place. Dan, there's they're like they'll be right in the road ditch, you know, 
breeding a doe right in the ditch yeah. or, or, or bedded right next to the road with a doe. Yeah. They are so unbelievable. That's, and the sad thing, I wish, um, I wish rifle season wasn't open cause that's so many huge mule deer get killed because, um, it's open during rifle season yeah and with with a compound bow they're easy you know when they're that stupid yeah it's it's unbelievable you you can honk at them you could they don't care yeah it's way worse than a whitetail yeah so way worse than a whitetail um I was listening or not listening. I was uh, reading an article once about this guy who um, he hunts whitetails a lot and he hunts mule deer a, a lot. And he says that uh, I don't even know the dude's name. I'm trying to think. He says that it is harder to kill a mature whitetail than it is to kill a mature mule deer. What's your experience during the rut? Ab- absolutely easier to kill a mule deer. Um, but when they're not stupid and not rutting, it's a different story. Yeah. You know, cause they have, they have hearing like no other, they see better than a whitetail does. So you experience this, Dan, you're standing out on that prairie and you can, you can see the, the horizon flat, which, you know, is approximately 35 miles or whatever. You can see forever and you see a group of deer out there and they might be a thousand yards mule deer. I'm talking and they're stand, they're all standing there and they're turned and they're staring right at you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you're hunting a whitetail and you're both in a soybean field and he can't hardly even see you. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't move. Yeah. So those mule deer just after, millions of years of evolution have evolved into this this critter that you know they recognize a lump out on the prairie yeah you know what i mean yeah and it was it was interesting watching them come off the top before you know before they right before they decided they were going to bed down or drop into uh, a bedding play you know wherever they were bedding mm-hmm. what they did like i've never seen a whitetail like in inspect an entire ridge or look all over the place before they bed down the mule deer Mm -hmm. that i saw especially the mature one that we ended up killing he popped up or he popped down came on this little knoll he looked back and forth and back and forth and then he uh went back up the same exact trail that he went to came around the other side of the knoll he looked back and forth then disappeared again went on top of the knoll looked back and forth and then made his way down into the the drainage that we eventually killed him in and i mm-hmm. thought that was very interesting uh having that kind of uh, the ability to calculate risk right it, it was like he was looking for something and and like he was making decisions different than um, you know i would expect a whitetail or a, a mule deer to make and that that kind of blew my mind and gave these animals a little bit more respect than what i've you know what i've already given them oh yeah it's almost like they're testing you you know or or uh, you know how a whitetail will you know stomp their hoof to try to 
get you to move right. if you're up in your tree stand or whatever. Mule deer, it's almost like they expose themselves for a second to see if anything's going to happen, and then they and then they just have the ability to just drop down and disappear. Yeah. But what they also do, which I think is amazing, is how they can, like if you've got a family group, you know, a couple big bucks and a couple, you know, little forked horns and then, you know, four or five does, how they will arrange themselves on a downwind side of a, a ridge or something like that where they've, they've got, you know, somebody up on top, somebody beside them, somebody below them, and they just use the other you know, almost inferior critters, you yeah. know, to, to watch guard for them. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. I, uh, just, just, uh, watching an animal in its environment, like in Iowa where I hunt, I, I get to see deer interact, but I don't get to see them from such a long distance that they, um, I get to watch them use the terrain. Uh, like mm-hmm. a, a mule deer and that that's an experience in itself is watching an animal use the terrain without you know because in iowa all the trees there all the vegetation so when they come into where i'm at to where i'm shooting them it's you know they're already there i know they're coming from somewhere but i don't get to watch them use the terrain but out there man i just watching an animal use the terrain to its benefit is something that everybody really needs to observe and see and i swear to god it would make it will make people better hunters because you'll be able to see well hey man every single day i've watched them come this far up on this ridge and then they drop down and then you get up there and you get to experience what the wind is doing and when you yeah. can put your brain into that same trail and then feel what the wind is doing and throw some dirt up in the air and see what the wind is doing. Then you can go, ah, I see while they're, while, you know, why they're using this, this trail or while they're, why they're using this terrain feature. Oh yeah. Um, you know, for example, it was like towards the end, it was in December. I made kind of one last ditch effort out there and I was just driving. I just, came out of the badlands so i was you know i drove through the badlands i love doing that because there's always bighorn sheep in the road and stuff like that (laughs) people need to go there anyway so i came out of the badlands and i'm driving down a highway and i look and about 150 yards um south of me on the highway i could see this nice framed mule deer laying there with a doe i could see both their heads I stopped and I was glassing them, pulled up my maps and for for once they're on public. So I kind of start looking at the map, looking at the terrains. There was a there was a crick and then just kind of like a bunch of banks running along the crick and those deer were bedded just kind of on a point. And I'm like, what are they doing there? Cuz they were completely exposed to anybody on the road. So I figure, you know, the wind was, I figured the way the wind was, and I went, you know, if, the, if I'm facing south, you know, I went probably three or 400 yards west of them. And I'm kind of walking gingerly because I know they're on the other side of a creek or whatever. And I get to where I think I'm south of them, and I look, and, and I see a buck and a doe, and it looks kind of like them. And I'm thinking, 
there's no way it could be those two. And because I went, you know, four or 500 yards west of them. And sure enough, when I was west of them, there was a creek that ran towards them that I'm sure the wind shot right down that creek. And that's why they were there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, they use, they use terrain, you know, small little cricks or depressions in the prairie, like whitetails would use a shelter belt or something like that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, so you like, uh, you like the muleys a little bit better than, uh, than hunting than whitetails. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I tell you what, I, uh, if I had the opportunity to hunt mule deer as easy as let's say like you did, I mean, in same state, what I mean, I would probably be leaning a little bit more towards, <laughs> towards that too. Uh, maybe, but, uh, I haven't, I haven't made my decision yet. Uh, I've only got one mule deer hunt really under my belt. So, uh, this year when I go out there again, I'll let you know if, uh, if the odds have gone in favor of the mule deer or not. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to transition here into something else because when, whenever somebody does what you've done, I think, God, they're crazy. But I, I find myself getting drawn into, into it as well. So in 2019, you made a switch from, compound archery to traditional archery how many years have you been hunting uh with a compound 30 30 okay yeah 30 years at with a compound you, you switched over 2019 to uh trad why uh well i have a really shitty shoulder for one thing and um you know shooting a compound bow at at 70 pounds and um i didn't want to go through shoulder surgery and a lot of people say they can't shoot trad you know because of a shoulder injury but for me it was a heck of a lot easier to pull a trad bow back than it was my compound yeah and um honestly it was kind of trendy yeah you know people were doing it and I just kind of wanted to do something different. You know, people right. talked about how fun it was just shooting arrows, things like that, you know, shooting in their garage, shooting in their basement, things like that. You really can't do that with a compound. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, I just wanted to try it. And yeah. as soon as I picked up a recurve bow in a, um, at, a, at a bow shop out in Colorado last January, or February, I can't remember. I just fell in love with it. Right. You just arrow after arrow after arrow after arrow. It's just something you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, so you just kind of said, hey, I want to make a change here. What um, mm -hmm. What was the steps now? You, you made the decision at some point. You said, I'm going to shoot trad. I'm going to buy this recurve. What what were the next steps? Because you don't just, hey, I'm going to buy this bow and I'm going to go start hunting with it. I mean, you got to teach yourself all these things, right? What were, Walk us through the steps. Right. So the biggest thing is if you go from, and I was a guy that I would buy a compound, you know, not quite every year, but I'd go through 
a lot of bows. You know, every other year I'd get a new bow, you know, and you're dropping 1400 1500 bucks. So I already had that mindset of I need to spend a lot of money, which is wrong, by the way. But so when I decided to make the switch, I researched a bunch of bows and watched a lot of videos and things like that. And I, and I picked out a custom bow um, and I put it on order. So it's going to take like four to six weeks to get the bow. In the meantime, I took that trip to Colorado went to Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear where you walk in there and there is hundreds and hundreds of traditional bows that you can pick up and shoot. And one of the guys that works there that's been shooting a bow for probably 50 plus years walked up, nice guy, introduced himself and asked, you know, what is going on with me? And I told him that I ordered a a 50 pound custom bow. And he, he goes, oh, have you shot before? And I said, no. Funny. He hands me a 50-pound bow off the shelf, and he says, pull this back. I could hardly pull it back. <laughs> and he, hand, he, he hands me a 40. I could pull it, but it was not comfortable. He hands me a 30. I could pull it back. He grabs a 15 and a handful of arrows and takes me out into the range. Yeah. So... And he, and he worked with me for two hours and he basically got me going with some, you know, pretty decent form shooting a 15 pound recurve. Yeah. So I bought it. It was a hundred bucks. And he said, shoot this for a month, go on eBay, buy some 25s and 35s. And then by the time you get your custom bow, you should have good form. So that's how I started. I started with a 15-pound recurve bow. Okay. And was I, that, shot, I shot it. Was that a little bit emasculating when you were, uh, oh, man, oh, I feel like a pussy. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm coming from the speed freak world of compound. Right. You know, I had the I had the brand-new Prime Logic 70 pounds shooting carbon blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, it was. I felt like a punk. <laughs> yeah. So you got a, you got an education real fast. What what were some well, of the the differences? I mean, obviously there's a lot of differences, but what were some of the the big differences right off the bat between compound and traditional? The biggest the biggest difference is trust. Yeah. You know, with a comp with a compound bow, you could take someone that's never ever shot one in their life. And you could put a, you know, a 70-pound Prime Logic with a single-pin sight in their hands, and they can hit a 10-ring the first time they ever shoot it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, the technology in the compounds is amazing. With a traditional, you know, you're going to get some basic tips, you know, get a good... Um, get a good holding point on your face or something, be consistent, have a good grip, you know, watch the target, clean release, and hope that the arrow goes where you're looking, you know. And that was the biggest thing, trusting, you know. And I, I equate it to throwing a baseball, you know. It's like pitchers just, the last thing they see is, the pud and the ball goes there and that's kind of what it's like 
but it takes hundreds upon hundreds of arrows to get there. And you can lose, you can lose your form in a split second and it'll make a difference, huge difference. So what about the arrows then? Did you need a a new, a a new quiver full of arrows as well? Or, I mean, did you go full trad? Like, were you, (laughs) were you using uh, arrowheads for tips or were you still using (laughs) like standard arrows? No. So, so the bow, um, do you want me to tell you what bow I ended up getting? Yeah, whatever you want, man. Okay, so so I ordered the Striker RK1 bow, which is the riser is made by New uh, New Breed, which basically it's a compound riser with oh, okay. Okay. Cus- custom, custom wood limbs. So when you hold my bow, it feels like you're holding a compound bow. I got it you. doesn't have that big, that big fat grip that a lot of traditional bows – and, and something I did learn too is, um, you know, traditional bows are like baseball gloves. There's many sizes, feels, whatever. But um, so, so yeah. And I ordered that, and I made the mistake. And I was still in the. I've gone through so many arrows, Dan. It's unbelievable. Spent so much money trying different arrows, trying you know extreme FOC. You know, regular. I've gone through way too many arrows, but I'm telling you. You don't need to spend a lot of money on arrows either when you switch to trad. Okay. I mean, you can you can shoot. You don't have to really worry about you know the extreme straightness like you do with a compound. Um, I, I learned a lot that I spent way too much money this past year on things, and you can make a super penetrating killing machine with not a lot of money with traditional. That's I for gotcha. sure. Okay. So what arrows did you end up going with? Uh, well, I have shot, I've shot everything from black Eagle, traditional Beeman, traditional Valkyrie, Eastern access. Um, I kind of ended up with the Valkyrie system just cause I kind of like that. I, I like their components. Got ya. But, uh, so what are, do you happen to know your arrow weight out of, out of curiosity? Uh, it's probably, um, well, I'm running, uh, it's about 18, 18% up front. I run about, I'm running a 250 point with, um, a 75 grain outsert on a 400, okay. 400 spine arrow. Okay. And so you're over, well over 600. Oh yeah, 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 six sixty. Yeah. Gotcha. Probably okay. Something like that. So as you start to practice trad, right? What? Um, talk to me a little bit about some of the struggles of going from compound to you know. You mentioned that you know your form can be gone in a second. Is this something that you have to do more practice, or would you say oh, yeah. less practice? Way, 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 more. way, way more practice way more practice. I mean, when I first started, I was shooting, um, a minimum of a hundred out hundred arrows a day, you know, for like two months. But the thing about it is, is you love shooting. I would, I would shoot for hours at a time, arrow after arrow after arrow. So if I'm standing next to a compound guy at the range, I'll go through eight out, eight arrows 
to his two or three. You know what I mean? It's okay. just boom, boom, boom. You're just shooting all the time. And yeah. it's, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll pluck the string or have a weak release or it's all about consistency, you know, like any athletic sport, pitching, golfing, swinging, anything. It's all about consistency and controlling your shot. Right. You know, I, I, I paid for the Joel Turner iron mind thing. And I also, uh, paid for Tom Clum's instruction. Oh, these series, are in, okay. Was, instruction, no videos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're super helpful. And, you know, for either, for any kind of archery shooting, um, whether it's trad or compound, you know, having a system, you know, and I know you guys, I know you talk about it and you do it, but you have to have some kind of protocol and system with, you know, the way you draw it back, where you anchor it and the way you release it, you know, but it's, it's just, it has to be way more consistent with trad versus compound. Yeah. So, you know, when we, you know, I've already mentioned it, uh, at one point, I think forgiveness and having, having a bow be forgiving in in the compound world. Is that such a thing in the trad world then is having a bow that's forgiving or if you make a mistake, it's going to be amplified on, on the back end. Um, you know, it's pro it's way more, um, dependent on you and your process. Yeah. You know, we have a, we have a little hodgepodge traditional league at our range, 3d league that we have on Monday nights. And we put, together some cool shots and stuff like that and the other night i have a harder time at a five yard shot than i do at a 35 yard shot and i shot under this little frog at five five yards and shattered my arrow and i was everybody kind of looked at me and i laughed and i go whoops wrong pin you know (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like um there is no forgiveness. You know, if you, if you have a glove on and you're all bundled up and you pull, pull the string back and you're not, you know, your, your anchor point's going to be completely different with clothes on and that sort of thing. And with a compound, the difference might be a, a couple inches yeah. with a traditional bow. If your anchor point is off, might be the difference of three feet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's way more up to you, but yeah. you know, there's some bows that, you know, might be more forgiving, but it's pretty much based on the shooter, gotcha. not, not the equipment. So let me ask you this then. Once you started shooting, how long did it take you to feel comfortable to the point where you said, you know what? I feel, I feel confident hunting with this as opposed to, well, maybe I should go back to my uh, compound bow for this for this hunting season. That was easy. That was only a, a few days because um, I've only been chasing mule deer on the prairie for about three years. Yeah. So, you know, 25-plus years, I hunted like you, farm country, tree belts, you know, um, fence lines, things like that, and killed a lot of whitetails and never shot probably over 25 yards. You okay. know what I mean? Right. So right. right away, 
I'm in that range with a, with a trad bow, you know, within a, a few weeks, I know I can, you know, kill an animal inside 20 yards, you know, pretty dang easy. Yeah. You know, so that made that transition super easy, you know, but it's a different story when you get out West and you need to possibly reach out to 40, 45, right. You know, just, just makes you a much better hunter and you get weight. You just have to get closer yeah. to the animals. What did you uh, say was your max range with this trad bow compared to your compound? Oh, oh. <laughs> I took, I took uh, a couple years ago, I barely missed a mule deer at like 80 something. Yeah. You know, and um, obviously I probably won't shoot. Well, the first year I wouldn't have shot under, you know, 35 probably with a trad bow. And okay. that's probably about the max. Okay. You know, cause it's slow. That can basically, I shot at a white tail that I, that I missed. And I know we saw the arrow coming, you know, he had time to stretch before I, he took off running basically. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm shooting at a whopping, you know, 165 feet per second. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So did you ever make contact this year with your with your trad bow? I know you mentioned you didn't shoot a deer this year, but did you ever get you ever uh get close or get to oh, feel yeah. the penetrating power of it or anything like that? Oh, on a raccoon I did. Okay. So I spot the last last week of the archery season in December I was driving down a road and saw two raccoons in a cut cornfield and went out and ran them down and um i shot this raccoon he's probably about 25 to 27 yards and that arrow it it uh shish kebobbed him and it went right right through him and he spun around and basically was running right towards me and I had five arrows and I put a total of four arrows right through that raccoon. So <laughs> that was fun. And I'm shooting, he's running at me kind of and to the side and, you know, I'm shooting this running animal with the bow. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It was so awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it's, and you know, there's a lot of people that, that think that those traditional arrows probably have more penetrating power than a compound. You know, just because of the the weight, the weight, obviously, the momentum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a cut on contact broadhead. You know, yeah, going right through them. What, yeah, what broadhead were you using? Uh, the Valkyrie. Okay. Valkyrie broadhead. So it was a whole arrow system, is what you were talking. Yeah. What you're saying? Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, is is this trad is this trad thing here to stay, or are you uh, are you going to give it up? it's here to stay. I gave my, I gave my compound bow away. I gave it to a coworker that's he's in his thirties and he's a huge hunter and fisherman, but he, he's not into archery yet. And I gave it to him with, um, with a release and full setup. It gave him my setup with some arrows and everything just cause I, and I, and I said, Hey, I'll give you all this stuff. If you, you know, swear to me that you're going to 
get into it. You yeah. know, I just wanted to get another person into archery. Yeah. So he absolutely will and he loves it. And, you know, I just wanted to introduce instead of having it sit there or, you know, I tried to sell it and stuff like that. But to me, you know, I like to mentor people and I like to get people into the outdoors and I got another guy into archery. That's awesome. You know? So, yeah. And, it, and, you know, I told him to pass it on. He's got a couple nephews that, that he takes hunting all the time. So yeah, we just got another guy in the sport. That's so. great. That's great. So mm-hmm. you've committed to the world. Committed. Are you wearing, are you smoking a pipe and wearing, uh, wearing red, red and black flannel? I am wearing red and black flannel, but I'm not smoking pipe. <laughs> so, I got gotcha. you. But, but uh, you know, I started I started hunting. Um, obviously, I've I've spent a lot of money on the expensive hunting clothes and you know the the scent killers and all that stuff. And um, even before I got into trad, I switched over a little bit more towards gillies and you know, using the wind versus trying to mask the scent and that sort of thing. So in my, in my old age and after spending thousands of dollars on crap that I don't need, I've really got to be a better hunter and get closer just by using the wind and being still. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, Patrick, man, I really appreciate you taking time to BS with me today. Um, Mm-hmm. Hopefully everything in your uh, in the trad world pays off, and uh, God, I hopefully this upcoming season is the the year that you're able to seal the deal uh, using it. Yep, yep, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. I did get to turkey hunt with it last year, and I missed I missed two turkeys, and I also missed a coyote that came into my turkey call. But uh, the thing that I've noticed with trad is everything. I missed two deer this year and I've missed two turkeys and a coyote and every one of the animals that I shot at I I got to shoot multiple times at it so they don't hear it as much as a compound yeah and uh, you can just you know reload an arrow so much easier with a trad bow yeah but it's it's been a trip man and it's it's not about it's not about the kill with me and um, it's about getting out and this year I wanted to, I, I like you love the new spots and this year I hunted so many different areas in my own state that I'd never been to before, which is awesome. I tried to go someplace new every time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's what and I there's like. A lot of, there's a lot of that out there, man. Yeah. I could, couldn't hit it all in a lifetime. No way. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Patrick for taking time out of his day. Love having that guy on and catching up with him. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Vortex, The Average Conservationist, Prime, Ozonics, Wasp, and Lone Wolf. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because you know how it all works. And uh, other than that, man, not much to say. Just be aware of the hacking incident on uh, all of the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles social media pages, including my personal Facebook page. Um, I'm not a terrorist, so uh, I'm hoping to get that figured out real soon. Other than that, um, 
you know, 2020 for me is going to be about giving back as much as I possibly can. Big announcement coming down the pipe. And other than that, man, go take somebody hunting. Donate some of your time to a conservation effort. You know, give back to what you love and that what you've taken from all these years. And uh, I think you'll feel really good about it when you do. So uh, with that said, I guess we'll talk to you next week or later this week or whenever I launch another episode. <laughs>